Welcome to episode 393 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Andrew Swafford. And Jess. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about movies that we saw this week in part one, and in part two, we will be continuing our romance movie series for 2004's uh, The Notebook. Um, Jesse's Choice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, our series was greatest of all time romance movies. Greatest is pop it romance One of movies. my favorites? Well, you'll find out in part two. But mm-hmm. is this oh, like. Real, real radio tease I there. I would say, would you. Could we say, like, broadly, is this one of. It's a canon. All time favorite canon. It's a canon romance, romance movies? Yes. So that's what we're here to discuss today. I don't see any canons in it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Okay. A romance between a no woman let's and part two. Let's her save this banter for part two. <laughs> <laughs> we Real quickly, we usually uh, pump up the Patreon in the middle section, but uh, just wanted to give you guys an update. If you let's pump it up now, Patreon.com/slash/Cinematary. Um, we added a thing. So normally, it's we have the one tier, and it's five dollars. Um, we have a lot of people, you know, if you stay to the end of the podcast, I usually name off a bunch of names that at this point I can kind of say by memory, which is <laughs> unnecessary. If only we um, had more patrons, Zach wouldn't have yeah, to memorize but, uh, this list. <laughs> I don't have to memorize damn names. Um, but no, we added a new one. We're going to add, maybe add two new ones, but for right now we have at least one new one, uh, which is just a dollar. So if you would like to donate, um, we'll say your name. At least until, you know, it just becomes absurd. <laughs> but, uh, you know, for now, we got, you know, if, if you just want to be like, absurd, you just want to we'll find something else to, because I would be very, yeah, happy we'll find something else to do. Absurdly long list. That would be good. But, but, but yeah, it'd be great. So, like, if you're, it's, it's just one of those, like, like we had an episode this, that month, and you're just like, let's throw them a bone. This is your perfect tier, $1. So, uh, it's there if you just want to throw us a bone. I think I called it throw it throw us a bone tier. <laughs> so. Is there a reward associated with the throw us a bone tier? Yeah, I think we'll give you a sh- uh, if, depending on again how many people out. do it. We'll give you a shout out. Okay. Um, and for, to remind people, the five dollar tier um, that means you get the shout out, and specifically, like the main the main enticement here is that we will occasionally ask you what movie you want us to cover for the show. And we will just do a week on whatever movie you want. And some people torture us with that. So it's... Some people make hey, us watch Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, some, we've gotten some really interesting recommendations. Everything what? from Starship Troopers to Romeo and Juliet. We got some good ones recently, though. Uh, that, that little series of Raven of Fireflies, Doctor Strange Love, yeah. and uh, 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 Starship Troopers. Yeah. Whew, that, was that, was, fun series. that was some heat. Because we got some cool listeners out yeah. there. If you're a cool listener, why don't you go ahead and support us on Patreon.com? Throw us a bone, or maybe a little bit Throw more. us a bone, because we're a podcast proudly brought to you by PB. <laughs> PBR. The working PBR, man's beer. The working man's beer. That's why um, we need patrons. PBR. They're not coming sponsor. through with the money. It's really, they keep saying, we'll bring it. And I'm like, oh, no. Just keep sending me the beer. That's fine. That's All right. what they do. Let's talk, let's talk about movies that we're playing in theaters and such this week. Um, We've got some good ones. Yeah, we got some good ones. Um, so I'm gonna kick us off. I I caught the the worst person in the world, the 2021 film from Norway from director Joachim Trier. Um, familiar to people, I think Thelma, Thelma. louder than bombs, Thelma. things like that. Um, but this one it chronicles. It goes about I think four years in the life of a young woman named Julie. Uh, as, it, as she kind of navigates her love life as well as her career path. Um, she has specifically two partners that you kind of follow her with. The first one is played by Anders Danielson Lai, who kind of just has a cool, 
I mean, the dude's an actor, but he also is like a doctor, which that seems like a whole. Oh yeah, um, which is just kind of a cool. He's like a coronavirus thing. doctor, right? Yeah. So like yeah. last year, he was like f- like fighting the coronavirus and filming yeah, this movie. Cool. So like, wow. good for you, man. Not um, that there are specific doctors just for the coronavirus. I, I feel like every doctor is helping people with the coronavirus, but like he's like a celebrity and like people know him. Well, he's like, like acting too. Saving people from the coronavirus and acting in this movie. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. That's, that's just crazy. Um, Did he act as a doctor? Was his character a doctor? No, he plays a oh. uh, comic book artist in this. Yeah, that would be um, cool. And then she has another partner uh, played by Herbert Nordrum. Herbert? Um, Herbert. Okay, it's go for Norway. it. It's Norway. It's yeah, Norway. Sure. Because <laughs> um, he's like, not hot enough. I need a, I need a hot enough. I just thought of like a 90-year-old uncle named Herbert, but yeah, that's cool. Um, I really like this movie. I was kind of. I wish I could have seen it earlier. Probably would have worked its way at some place in my best of the year list. Um, I think. Mm. Are we calling it a twenty twenty one movie though? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> okay. give that deep. I didn't like give that much deep thought to like what I wanted to call. I mean, sure. I call it whatever. I'm saying you should put it I'll on your twenty twenty two list. Point. Um. <laughs> this movie's great you'll forget I, know, I just i forget what came out what year I, i'm just it's, it's it's all over the place um but yeah i it's it starts it so it's separated it starts with like a prologue and then it's cut up into like 12 different chapters and then it ends with a epilogue um and so it kind of has a little bit of like um romance movie structures not necessarily rom-coms but like romance movie structures of the different levels that you go through in the in the relationship um each chapter is she dating the guys concurrently or is it different parts of the movie no she dates them at different parts um but you know i mean she runs into them they, they there's each um each of them she kind of has two like um two different relationships with like the like the one like you start out with the Anders Danielson lie character um and that's kind of her who she's with for a very long time and then she meets the other guy for like this kind of whirlwind night type situation then she leaves the 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 first guy and goes to stay with that guy and then while that guy while she's with that guy she runs into the other guy so like they there's they 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 meet at different points in life um but the the twelve chapters are are set up and just kind of I like the way that they're structured. They're very, um, they're structured kind of like memories rather than like full, um, fully realized stories. You know, it's mainly just kind of moments in in time, and it kind of has like this you know somewhat of a fragmented way where uh, just it'll end and just kind of it'll end in just like a fragment and then move on to the next chapter because it's more of her just kind of recollecting these moments in these relationships to a degree um but it also kind of has like these these wonderful cinematic flourishes there's one scene where she's talking with with her partner and then she like switches on a light and it like freezes everybody like in the world and she like goes and runs to uh you know to the other guy who's also moving and they and there's like this whole kind of romance sequence between them as they're running around the world and everybody's like frozen in time um and like I've, I've seen a couple of Joaquin Trier's things I've never been like a giant fan of his it seems this one seems a lot more playful mm-hmm. um what'd you think of Thelma I've never seen Thelma actually oh I, that's the only thing I think I've seen yeah, from him. I and really liked that much. I liked it. Um, it didn't really stick with me all that much, um, but it's a very interesting movie. It's one I've kind of been meaning to buy, actually. I would like to have mm. it. It's like a good sapphic movie. Yeah. But this one's good, I think, um, in terms of, like, it's a coming-of-age movie, but it's a coming-of-age movie later. It's not, you know, high school-aged or, like, uh, or, or college, like, like getting out of college or something. Yeah, it's more in line with like Frances Ha, where it's a, it's, I mean, she's in her late twenties, early thirties. Um, she's just kind of a, she, she's just one of those kind of those adults who, you know, I think we're we're in that stage where you have like the friends who are kind of going, all right, let's go to that next level. We're gonna get, you know, married and have kids and do like the traditional path. And she kind of she, you know, very much uh, wants to kind of live 
more of a free lifestyle and not have to follow, you know, there's one large sequence where she goes um, with the Anderson Danielson lie, Anders Danielson lie character to, uh, to like a cabin. And he's, it's kind of, it's like a bigger cabin. There's a lot of his friends there and he's older. She's like I said, late twenties. And he's, I think like mid thirties, mid to late thirties. And, you know, there's all these friends of his and they all have kids and they're all kind of talking about um, less like what do we what do we want to do in our careers and more we're at this point in our careers and how do we want to kind of focus more on our family life. Um, and naturally, she kind of has like a, a blow up there just because she um, that that repetitiveness, that uh, traditionalism that everybody's kind of falling into, Wait, she uh, immediately rejects. Is she the worst person in the world for no, not I don't know wanting that? I was, I was trying to think think while watching. I don't think anybody's like that bad. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> why does this movie have that title? <laughs> That's a yeah, it's that's a pretty strong title. At one point, somebody says "worst person in the world," and I was like, "Oh, that's the name um, of the movie." But uh, <laughs> overall, I don't know. I liked it. I think it, it. I think it's a very smart romance movie. I think it's a. It's one that like is less about. Um, you know, like the movie we're gonna talk about later today, where like you're just waiting for the whole rain sequence where they're yelling at each other and they make out. Um, this one is more you, you like you kind of have all these three kind of messy, complicated characters that you're bouncing in between. Um, they feel like real people. They feel like um, you know, just these they like they feel like natural, like genuine challenges that they're going through, and it's more just about the kind of like messiness of love rather than just the um, flowery hallmark version of it. So I recommend it. I think it's pretty, I think it's a, it's pretty smart. The, the actress who plays the lead role is very good. I think this is one of her first thing that's first things that she's been in. Um, at least that's like kind of widespread. Uh, but she was very good. Um, there's also this like really crazy trippy scene where they, where they do mushrooms. That's I thought was pretty, Mm-hmm. It was really fun. So, <laughs> worst person in the world, check it out. Seeing it yeah. this weekend. Yeah. So excited. This weekend, excited. Yeah. Um, but you guys, you, you all have some uh, some uh, some new releases, some Oscars, some Oscar movies. One Oscar movie. One movie yeah, that just one. will never under any circumstances be nominated for an Oscar. But it's great. That's too bad. Uh, which one do you want to talk about first? I forget which ones we're talking about. Uh, Drive My Car mm-hmm. and Bad Luck Banging or Loony Porn. Uh, I guess that's the that one. If you can way. guess, that's the one that I won't get nominated for an Oscar. That look banging. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Do you want to introduce him? You're gonna need. To, I don't know okay. where this came from or where. Well, this is a can movie. It came out can. Um, I want to say like two years ago. Um, and I've just been patiently waiting for this movie to come out because the premise is so great. Um, I mean, you could also imagine the premise being like a Judd Apatow comedy or something, and that would be really shitty. But like done right, this is a really interesting premise. It's about a school teacher. Yeah. It's uh, set in Romania. Now? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I should look up what country it's set in. But she's a school teacher who like rec- records herself and her husband having sex mm-hmm. um and her husband uploads it to Pornhub um without her consent and students in her no, class I that, see it I, I feel like they try to make it seem like her husband took her computer in for cleaning or something that's the that's the cover-up oh, story she later admits that he uploaded it without her consent oh, her students see it and then like it becomes a school board parent teacher conference like court trial like them putting her on trial to see if she loses her teaching license or not um as people who work in schools this is an immediately engaging and like terrifying premise not that we are uploading we're like taking videos of ourselves fucking and uploading to Pornhub, but like the the list or the breadth of like what parents slash school boards are willing to get upset with if they find yes. out about in your personal life 
is very broad, right? Like, yeah. and also as a person who like lives so much of my life on the internet, like I'm on Twitter all the time. Um, my tweets like go back to like 2014. I've been doing these, this podcast since 2014. There's like hundreds of hours of me like pontificating and sharing my opinions about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody who like live streams too. Like if somebody wanted to like comb through my entire internet footprint and find something that would be upsetting to some parent, they could do it, right? right? Like, I I'm could could like be shot down by KCSPD at any moment. Is basically like a paranoia that lives in the back of my life um, as a teacher. No, that I'm last part really is hyperbole, yeah. but you know what? That's I mean. our challenge to you, listeners. Yeah. No, in, yeah, in, yeah, the so like, in the like, in the like CRT hysteria world, in the hysteria about like you know Texas uh, just passed a law about like if anybody is known to be like um, supporting a trans person, like they themselves can go to prison. Like the list of things that we're like targeting teachers for is broad. I mean, um, but really, but, but I think we could just get into a long, broader conversation yeah. about education and yeah. how, like, ridiculous, like, the, I don't know, the expectations are on public servants to just, like, mm. not have private lives To be all, perfect people. Or yeah. to be absolutely, crisp, like, crystal clear, perfect, like, mm-hmm. to clean in their private lives, but I don't think, like, literally anybody that is, but... Um, or even like having radical political views, right? Right. Like you're just supposed to like yeah. fit perfectly in line. Like I've got a principal who won't even doesn't even like to see tattoos or piercings. Yeah, she and has to take her nose ring off when she's at school because no, the principal will fucking fire her if she won't. First of all, well, let's not get into that. But anyway, like yeah, I think professional world is weird, especially when you work in schools. And so this movie is a premise and conclusion that is something that is close to heart for us as educators in our household. Um, But it probably is something that's relatable to people in a lot of different fields. But anyway. Scott Tobias, film critic Scott Tobias, said that somebody could make the best possible, like, American remake of this movie. Well... Of all the, like, foreign art films that get remade in America, like, this is the one to do. And so what I'll say about this is, it's, it's, I don't know how, at the end of the day, it's interesting. It's, it's a very interesting, uh, the way it's made, because it's structured in three parts. Mm -hmm. Like you just said, Zach, that the movie you watched was structured in multiple parts, too. Um, can you not do that right now? I have to do this right now. Go on. No, it does that all the time. It says that all the time. Can Audacity might stop in the middle of us recording. Okay. Well, sorry, Andrew's just doing some stuff. We're editing this out later. (laughs) Okay. He's probably not going to edit this out. Um, (laughs) The movie is set, it's structured in three parts. So the first part is kind of us sort of figuring out what the conflict is, which is that this video has been uploaded and she's going to have to speak in front of the school board. The second um, half of the movie, the second part of the movie, gives us this, like, it's this almost, I guess you'd call it, like, avant-garde or something, um, almost like a slideshow mm-hmm. or something, where they're showing pictures of clips, and then they have a description with that clip. So it's, like, we're not seeing the main character at all. Um, we actually get a lot of clips about, like, Romani culture and, like, um, I guess ways in which, like, Romani people have been discriminated against and hurt over the years right. historically. Like, if you've heard the term gypsy be used as, like, a derogatory thing that is like a racial epithet towards these people mm-hmm. um, because they are discriminated against minority in, right. in this country in Europe and so the whole second yeah. section of the movie is yeah. like like I said it's literally like a slideshow like it'll show you a small clip of something or it'll show you an image of something and then a definition and then move on to the next thing and it does that for I don't know 20 30 minutes maybe like it goes on for well, a the while. movie the parts the three parts of the movie are like um, they have equal length. Yeah, so, so it goes on for at least like 20 minutes. It's very minutes. long, yeah. Um, and so I guess your mileage will vary in how engaged you are with that section of the movie. And my thoughts on it was that while they were like kind of interesting and funny at times, the way that they had that mm-hmm. piece of it, I didn't know how relevant I really felt like it was to the plot of the movie. Um, and kind of just wanted the movie to tell itself without that section. Um, I don't know, like... I mean, they really go out of their way to, I don't know, try to do this artsy thing, mm-hmm. yeah. but it just felt to me pretty out of place with the way the rest of the movie was told. And the third mm-hmm. section of the movie 
It was literally like her trial. So she, mm-hmm. this mom, which is this teacher, hysterical. Oh my God, like yes. it is very, very. It's funny. so insane. It's yeah. like so insane. So she gets in on trial in front of all of these teachers and colleagues, and they're basically voting whether or not she's going to get fired. And then this third section itself is split into three sections, kind of like uh, at the end of Clue, where they're like, "It could have happened this way, or it could have happened this way, but here's what really happened." That's kind of what they do here. So they show in three parts: one in which they vote to keep her on somehow yeah. she like talks her way into like not getting fired the second one is she talks her way at uh, or she isn't able to and they fire her and the third way i think that they don't say what happens in the third way the third way it's, it cannot be spoiled it should not be spoiled a bash it uh, it's just nuts you um, love a good clue ending in any case yeah but a clue ending that is this wild it's and just silly. wacky oh my god out off the wall yeah um so it's just it's it's very much a comedy in a lot of sections of the movie, but it's made so oddly too. I, I think I only the third really... section is comedy. The uh, first section is like stressful? slow cinema. Yeah. Um, and it's like it has this interesting structure where she's like basically walking and to place to place throughout her day. Like you're mm-hmm. seeing her whole day mm-hmm. from beginning to end, and like you also spend time with her in walking sequences. So, so much walking. she like just walks from one end of the screen to the next. And, like, the camera will focus on the advertisement behind her. And it's, like, less of a study in this woman and how her life is going and more a way of, like, observing, like, the cultural landscape and, like, what late capitalism looks like. And it's, like, ugly. Like, you're spending so much time in, like... Uh, she like walks past like toy aisles in in uh, uh, department stores and stuff like that, and just everything looks so like gross and cheap. It's and, just like yeah, and yeah. there's there's a lot of scenes. I feel like there's multiple scenes where they show you. Um, just other people just being shitty to each other for no reason. Like, yeah. there's people parked on the road and then... <laughs> just, like, how fucking stressed out everybody yeah, is Yeah, people just, like, yelling at each other over yeah. stuff that, like, they just could really easily avoid yelling at each other for. Like, somebody's parked on the sidewalk and she could have just walked around and not said anything, but decided she, instead she, like, screams at him. Um, and there's these two people in a grocery store and they linger on this scene of these two people just, like, chewing each other out at a grocery store mm-hmm. for, like, trying to cut in line or something. And it's just, I don't know. It's just like that the first section is really grimy. I mean, the whole movie is kind of about... It's kind of grimy. It's about, like, the ways in which the political and economic forces that shape our lives, like, pit people against each other. Like, and um, it's kind of like a... Uh, a necessity that like in order for people to live in like this political system or under this this type of like economic conditions they have to just like be constantly like stabbing the other one in the throat in order to like get uh, like one step ahead even Um, her husband which i guess i think they we confirm it's her husband but there was some hint that maybe it was like another partner of hers it's 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 either her husband or her longtime boyfriend she's not cheating Okay, but also I guess I should say the movie is set not in three sections but in four because it begins with like probably a five minute long like uncut porn. Oh yeah, the first thing you see in the movie is the the porn porn they shot, unsimulated. Yeah. That like later in the movie when people watch the porn, like there's a hilarious fucking part in the trial where somebody takes out a laptop and plays the The porn from beginning to end, but you can't see it because the camera's too far away, but you know what they're seeing because you've literally seen it at the beginning of the movie. But you watch these people like scoot up to the camera to watch the entire thing. Like as if it wasn't enough for them to like watch a second of it and know exactly what they're seeing. They watch the entire thing, those little perverts, and then they all vote (laughs) to try like it's just, this movie, I'm raising this movie half star I fucking so love this movie the structure of it is just <laughs> such a weird frothy mess yeah. I don't know um, it's very just unhinged but it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before and we'll say again it. as an educator it's like a horror movie all the Oscars horrible. give bad luck banging all I don't think Oscars. I even rated it because I don't yeah. know what to do with it. Because, like I said, it's a mess. It feels like a lot of disjointed things that are just kind of like yeah. thrown into a pot together and served like that. And I don't know. What I to do with I it. like it. Um, it's structured like an avant-garde film. It's almost. sloppy. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, that's bad luck banging. Um, you know how you can see this movie right now? You know the only way you can see this movie? I'm pretty sure oh you can God. get it through Netflix DVD. <laughs> 
that is how that is how I watched this movie because Michael O'Malley got it through Netflix DVD, not even knowing that it was available yet. Um, and I was like, "Can I borrow your Netflix DVD?" And I did, and I'm glad I did. I'm looking at it, and it says it's you can rent it for three dollars on uh, or four dollars on uh, Amazon. Oh, got it. Never mind. You can also do that. You can also get it for free on Netflix DVD. But doesn't that sound fun to get it on a Netflix DVD? Yeah, I have to wait. I just didn't even know people. I didn't even know they still offered that. But of course, Michael O'Malley knows. <laughs> That's how he watches most of his movies. A true king, God. Michael O'Malley. He's a gem. Michael O'Malley. Uh, do you, do we have time to talk about one more? Yeah. Okay. Just just do you want to introduce Drive My Car? Do I want to? No, you do it. The Oscar front runner this year. Man. Well, so Drive My Car. Oh, so you do want to... I guess. Go ahead. Directed by... Yusuke Hamaguchi. Mm-hmm. We'll say that's... Um, kind of about a man. He's a he's a, an actor and a director. Um, a and stage he, director. A stage director. Um, and, yeah, so a stage actor and a stage director. Um, and his wife is... I don't know. She works on... On camera too. She's a film director. Oh, yeah. She's kind of a baddie, um, <laughs> and they're they're in love, or until <laughs> <laughs> they're in love until. It's the great story. Keep going. Dies. So sad. Um, so he's pretty hot. <laughs> what else? This is, this is a movie that brings people to tears. That people is wounded people, and you're laughing. <laughs> I mean, that's it's pretty early. I, I, His wife dies and you're laughing? Yeah, I'm laughing. I'm laughing. Um, I mean, that's... It's not really news. I thought... Like, I guess I didn't even know we were going to get as much time with his wife as we did. I thought the whole movie was, like, after the death. But we spend quite a bit of time it, It's like a 45 minute. They have a really interesting relationship that I, maybe I'll get into with... I guess I can get into later. But I'll get into it later. But... She, one thing that she does for him, which is really nice, is she records her voice speaking his speaking parts while he's, you know, acting in the play. Or speaking all the speaking parts but his, the one that he's playing. So he'll listen to him in the car and he'll speak out his lines and that's how he memorizes his lines. It's really sweet that she does that for him. So um, he keeps those tapes and after she dies, um, he continues to act in the same play and he continues to listen to her and kind of be with her through those tapes. Well, anyway, he gets hired to direct this, I guess, in um, Hiroshima. Hiroshima. Yeah. So a site of grief. He gets hired to direct it in uh, Hiroshima, and um, also, I guess I should say, when he got in an accident at a certain point in the movie, so then he got some vision stuff going on. He kind of lost some of his sight, but he loves to drive, um, and driving is his favorite thing. That's how he memorizes his stuff. Anyway, so he gets hired. He moves to Hiroshima. It's a complicated plot. It's a complicated plot. It really plot. is. He gets he gets hired. He moves to Hiroshima. Um, but then they tell him that for some reason he has to have a driver and he's like, why? And they're like, that's our company policy, even though they don't make anybody else in their company do it. So my thinking is low key, they're kind of discriminating against him because of his glaucoma, but I don't know. Unproven, but maybe about ableism. I think so. So they make him have a driver and he's kind of pissed about it. (laughs) That is so incredulous right there. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, what is this movie exactly? Like, what the fuck are you talking about right now? That's the premise. This is, you know... I don't know what this movie is about. It's the best movie of the year. It's apparently the best movie of the year. He has a driver. He and the driver bond. You know what I mean? Um, They talk about grief. The driver also lost a lot of people. He lost so many people Yeah, people die all the time. People die. People can bond with each other over grief. I guess that's what the movie is about. Is bonding over grief? It's about people bonding over grief. I yeah. just, it didn't sit with me really, it didn't really do much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot, to me, of repetitiveness. There's a lot of, um, I mean, like, the characters were interesting enough, but so much of the story is just us watching the characters read lines to each other or practice yeah. lines to each other or read the same lines of dialogue. To each other, and I don't know if those lines of dialogue are supposed to be like hitting, but I got to a point in the movie where I was learning to just tune out them reading these same lines of dialogue over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so, when real characters would actually be having profound dialogue between each other, I was kind of tuning that out too. 
because I was getting used to tuning out. You just weren't listening. I wasn't listening, you know. Okay. Okay. I that's I know that sounds really shallow. I I keep telling Andrew one day they're gonna kick me off this podcast. Um, (laughs) Just bring it back. Bring it back. Um, And I don't know. I I just I. Did you mention um, it is adapted from a story by Haruki Murakami? Yeah, I didn't really have. No, she she missed that in the plot synopsis. Yeah. um, So I mean, very celebrated, um, popular Japanese author. Um, I've read quite a few of his things. I've read Wind Up Bird Chronicle. I've read Kafka on the Shore. I've read his short story collection, um, The Elephant Vanishes, which is actually where the short story comes from. And that's my favorite thing that I've read by him, um, The Elephant Vanishes. And he has a very interesting writing style in the, he has like an, an interestingly uninteresting writing style. Like he writes like very dry and matter of fact, but a lot of the things that he writes about do like kind of um, lean into the fantastical or like tiptoe into the fantastical. Some of them are like full, like I jumped in the deep end fantasy, like Wind Up Bird Chronicle is. But like for the most part, they're kind of mundane. But they just have, like, most of them have one toe in the fantastical world. And this is, like, a completely realistic story, basically. Um, so it's it's odd for him. Um, but the movie tries to kind of replicate his writing style, I would say, in the filmmaking style. And maybe it's just Hamaguchi's filmmaking style. I don't know. I haven't seen his other movies. Um, but it's kind of – it's not exactly slow cinema. The shots aren't, like, super long or anything like that. But it's very mundane, and it's kind of, like, low-key and quiet. And, like, there's this scene when he's directing his actors to, to put on this play where he talks about, like – how he like he makes them like um, wrap their knuckles on the table after they say a line like this, um, so that they have to wait a beat for the next person to start talking. Like he creates space in between the lines that his actors read. Like that's his theater style, and it feels like there's that kind of translates to the style of a movie where it's just like just a little protracted. Um, and you're also like not seeing like big important plot things happen all the time. It's like we're following him to go to dinner. We're following him to go to the rehearsal. We're following him to get drinks with somebody after the rehearsal. And um, like on a certain level, I do find that really appealing and really cozy in a way, especially in the like wintry atmosphere this movie mm-hmm. takes place in. Um, but it didn't really hit me emotionally in a way that it seems like it is hitting almost everybody who watches it. Like people give this four and a half, five stars on Letterboxd and they talk about how they left the theater bawling and it just didn't hit me that way. Um, and I don't think that's a fault of the movie necessarily. It might just be like, I don't have a lot of trauma about grief or I don't have it. Like grief hasn't been a huge presence in my life. So it doesn't like hit me super hard. Mm. Um, but I mean, I, it, to me, it was just kind of like a good you know, for an art house movie, you know, uh, it it wasn't life changing. And I also didn't think it was like boring or bad or anything. Um, though it could probably be a little shorter. I don't think it needs to be three hours. I thought like they did some interesting stuff. Like the, the thing that was funky about his wife and his relationship with his wife Mm -hmm. was like, he knew that she was cheating on him. Um, and he had like caught her cheating on him several times. And so there was this interesting story in there and that's probably where the Murakami, uh, like aspect of it really jumps the most is kind of their weird dynamic there Mm -hmm. where he was like aware that she was cheating on him but she only cheated on him like in different I don't know if she was like a a TV director or what film director film director whatever it was like she would cheat on him specifically with like whoever the star is of her current thing yeah and she would tell stories to help her like remember like her new story ideas and stuff and so like with each of her partners like him and the others, like as she was having sex with somebody, she was like narrating the story. Tell them the next chapter. Yeah, that is a very Murakami so, thing. Yeah, like that, it's like she's connected to like the muse or something right. when she's having sex. Like that weird, yeah. like inner character shit yeah. was really interesting, and that's kind of what I thought was interesting about the movie. And I wish there was more of that. But they give you forty-five minutes of her. Like, 45 minutes of uh, their relationship when she was alive before they move into the rest mm-hmm. of the movie. So it's, like, very interestingly structured. And, like, if it's going to be a three-hour movie about grief, we really need to know the person that we're grieving over at the beginning of the movie. 
Um, so like I thought that, that was kind of a, a very smart move. Yeah. Um, I liked the kind of shape of it in that way. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I thought there were some interesting pieces to it, but yeah. I think it just the what it was supposed to accomplish just didn't really land for me, and I'm not, I can't yeah. really explain why. Mm-hmm. Drive my car. Drive me somewhere else. <laughs> you're going to see this this weekend, right? Yeah. Well, you're going to yeah, see gonna that, s- and we're going to see uh, Worst Person in the World. So. Yeah. I would say this is a different director, but in terms of other movies based on Murakami stories, this is not nearly as good as Burning. Mm-hmm. Burning is so good. Dude, Jeez. I saw a clip of Burning the other day, and I was just like, that shit, man. Why do I not own that movie? Yeah. <laughs> I love Burning. it's so good Um, alright we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back talking about the notebook after this so stick around Cinematary listeners, this is your favorite Filipino podcaster, Jessica Carr. I'm here to let you know about a couple of things that Cinematary offers that you might not know about. First, if you're a fan of what Cinematary is doing, please consider joining us on Patreon. Remember when we weren't clamoring for your dollars? Well, now we're just clamoring for five of your dollars. So please help us and donate to our Patreon, and then you'll get exclusive content from our staff, including our film theory and chill series, where a panel takes a piece of theory each month and deconstructs it before diving into whatever topic is on their mind from the past week. The $5 each month is invested in the website and the podcast and it goes solely to paying our writers for the reviews each week so please consider doing it it's only five dollars if you missed an episode of cinematary or a piece of writing we've had you should consider signing up for our free newsletter each sunday we send out a note with the latest podcast episode piece of patreon content and the last two reviews that we've written at cinematary.com it's perfect for those of you who are interested in what's happening and it makes sure that you don't miss a single cinematary review. Finally, the easiest thing that you can do to help us is to please, please give us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever else you're using to listen to the show. This helps us get more eyeballs and ears on the podcast and the website, and it helps the people know about Cinematary, which is really what we're here for. So to recap, consider donating to our Patreon, sign up for the free newsletter, and give us a rating or review. We would really appreciate if you could do these things. Thank you for listening, and now back to the show. episode 393 of Cinematary. In this part, we will be continuing our romance movie series with 2004's The Notebook. Directed by Nick Cassavetes from a script by Jeremy Levin. The film stars Ryan Gosling, Rachel McAdams, Gina Rollins, uh, James Garner, and James Marsden. Do you have the fun fact about the director in here? That he's the son of John Cassavetes? Yes, that is the fun and the actor who plays the and the actor what's Gina, her name and Gina Rollins is his his mom is in the movie yeah yeah I didn't think that was interesting I thought that was just part of the, the thing he directed his it's, mommy it's interesting in how different of a movie this is from every John Cassavetes movie I mean that's true I wish it was a John Cassavetes movie sorry <laughs> 
Can you imagine Rachel McAdams and Ryan Gosling in like a John Cassavetes romance where we're yelling at each other the whole time? This movie is close to that. It there w- are parts of it that are that. It wants to be it. Um, in 1940s South Carolina, mill worker Noah Calhoun and rich girl Allie are desperately in love, but her parents don't approve. When Noah goes off to serve in World War II for five seconds, it seems to mark the end of their love affair. In the interim, Allie becomes involved with another man, but when Noah returns to their small town years later, on the cusp of Allie's marriage, it soon becomes clear that their romance is anything but over. Um, the film rights to the Nicholas Sparks novel was acquired uh, in 1996. Jeremy Levin was hired to write the script, which caught the attention of director Steven Spielberg in 1998, who wished was to... Was this f- the first uh, Nicholas Sparks movie? Really? Watch Remember is it Nicholas Sparks? Watch Remember is Nicholas Sparks. I think it was after, right? Yeah. No way. That's early. Um, you're, you're missing the best part of this factoid okay. that Steven Spielberg wanted to direct it and use Tom Cruise as Noah Calhoun. <laughs> no. That would have been really bad. Too intense. Yeah. Um, Spielberg had commitments to other projects, which led to Jim Sheridan being attached to direct it. And then he was like, nah. So then they had Martin Campbell, who directed a bunch of James Bond movies, <laughs> attached to direct this. And he was like, nah. And so uh, Nick Cassavetes did it. Early in development was first, by the way. Walter was first. Yeah, okay, I thought uh, so. Yeah. That would have been a good one. I'm Who gives a shit? Balance. Really? That one's even sadder. It is really sad, movie. though. Yeah, I think this people talk about this. This is the canon one. Yeah. Um, early in development, George Clooney was going to play Noah and Paul Newman as the older Noah. But after Clooney watched some Paul Newman movies, he went up to Paul and said he didn't look like him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, I feel like wanted... that's like a Norm Macdonald joke. Casavetti's wanted someone unknown and quote not handsome to portray Noah. He therefore cast Ryan Gosling in the role. Gosling was initially surprised by this quote. I read the script and I thought he's crazy. I couldn't be more wrong for this movie. It gave me an opportunity to play a character over a period of time from 1940 to 1946 that was quite profound and formative. To prepare for the part, Gosling temporarily moved to Charleston, South Carolina prior to filming. During two months, he rode the Ashley River and made furniture. Um, a nationwide search was conducted to find the right actors to play Allie. Actresses who auditioned for the role included Jessica Biel, Britney Spears, Ashley Judd, and Reese Witherspoon. And Rachel McAdams ultimately was cast. On casting, her Cassavetti said, cute. quote, when Rachel McAdams came in and read, it was apparent that she was the one. She and Ryan had great chemistry between them. Uh, she commented, I thought it would be a dream to be able to do it. I read the script and went into the audition just two days later. It was a good way to, to uh, do it because I was very full of the story. Um, and then Gosling said, I think this, it's pretty fair to say that we probably wouldn't have made this film if we hadn't found Rachel. Really, Allie drives the movie. It's her movie and we're in it. It all kind of depends on an actress. In comparison to the book, the role of Allie was actually extended. Uh, in 2004, the New York Times said the notebook is a high-toned cinematic greeting card. It insists on true mystical internal love till death do us part and won't have it any other way. In 2004, the uh, Variety said every bit the unashamed tearjerker fans of the popular novel expect. The notebook is a determined and often affecting romance that doesn't speak down to audiences. In 2004, Roger Ebert said, The notebook is a sentimental fantasy, but such fantasies are not harmful. We tell ourselves stories every day to make life more bearable. Um, On that note, let's talk a little bit about the notebook. Fun, another fun fact, it was the first big Ryan Gosling movie. Yeah. We would not have, um, you know, all the all the Blade Runner 2049s uh-huh. <laughs> if not for the notebook. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny that, like, the director chose him because he didn't think he was pretty cute because I think Ryan Gosling is pretty cute. I think yeah. they're both pretty cute. Yeah. This is Jesse's main uh, thing she likes about this movie. So here's another, here's part two of, I'm really surprised they haven't kicked me off this podcast. Um, here's my, here's my pitch for this movie. <clears throat> the thing is, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, it's hard to really measure things like, 
good chemistry or attractiveness you know it when it comes to like how much that makes a movie a good movie but i do feel like the actors really bring it home i think that um maybe it isn't like it i don't know i think i i'll say that the weakest parts for me are the old people bits i think that that it's just kind of a little corny this is different from the uh, praise that you gave before the mics were rolling which was that both these people are hot and you like watching them i was getting there i was getting there okay i'm saying (laughs) this is is horny jesse brain (laughs) the old people bits not only do i think that they're kind of boring and they're ugly, but also, <laughs> but also, like the whole script of it is very corny. I think, like, I'm gonna make her remember. It's just it, so cheesy. It's and she's the like, part that... I think our love is so strong that we can yeah. die at the same time. And he's like, I think our love can do anything. Like that's all. It's cheesy the part that feels action. like a faith-based movie. Yeah. Um, um, so we can scrap all that. I yeah. don't care for the frame story. But what I think is strong about the movie is like the period piece story of it. Um, and I think that the actors just really bring them to life. I think that Rachel McAdams brings just so much energy and the way she smiles and twirls, like you can really feel like why he would just instantly be drawn to her. And maybe this is just, I think she's hot. Or maybe I think that she does a really, really good job just playing this like lively and uh, person with so much energy that you just can't help but fall in love with. And Ryan, the way he looks at her, um, and like, like he's always like just about to tease her about something. Like he, he's gonna one up her in this way. Um, and like he just understands how she moves and ticks. Um, I just think that they really play it so well, and they're both so attractive. And I think that that is what makes this movie great, first and foremost. You know who should have directed this movie? It would not be a canon like every sorority girl loves this movie mm. movie if it was directed by this person. But you know who could have directed this movie? Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick could have directed this movie and and captured uh, Rachel McAdams twirling and running and smiling and making it feel like this, you know, transcendent, beautiful thing. In conclusion, uh, Terrence Malick, get a hold of another... Right. Uh, Nicholas Sparks, Nicholas Sparks novel. Well, To the Wonder is basically a Nicholas Sparks yeah. novel, which is another reason why I say it. But they're also, like, standing in front of ruins and stuff. It's, like, very cool. Right. Um, I will say that I am walking into this podcast... Not having made my mind up on whether or not I think the notebook is good. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm open to hearing arguments either way. <laughs> uh, I know Zach is a strong no and Jesse is a, is a I don't, mostly yes. I don't know. I don't know if I want to like say that I think it's just fantastic. I think um, especially compared to When Harry Met Sally, there's not the style there. Um or even compared to Dirty Dancing. It's not dancing. as entertaining as... Yeah, compared to Dirty Dancing, I don't think, like, the characters are as interesting, nearly yeah. as interesting. I don't think the characters are nearly as interesting. And those two, I think, are genuinely great. Dirty Dancing and um, Harry Met Sally. Dirty Dancing is good point of comparison, though. Because yeah. Michael made the point on that episode that, like, he kind of um, is a little weary slash wary of this romance trope of, like, the the gritty blue collar man who's like more in touch with nature and whatever, which kind of goes back to like, um, all that heaven allows. Like they really do beautifully done in that movie. Last thing in, in Dirty Dancing than they do with this. Like they kind of barely touch on it. Right. They say, eh, he's riffraff or whatever. And that's right. Like, yeah. It's. I mean, it also kind of ignores the fact that he is poor or comes from a right. you know a lower middle class background. He's able and to pull like, up by his bootstraps and build a big Yeah, house in the second half of the movie, he just, like, becomes basically a plantation owner. Yeah. Like, he doesn't live in the Annabellum South, but he's able to buy that this plantation, plantation and they home. they call it that, yeah. I guess the idea being that it's cheap and he can fix it up, but, like, all the things he uses to fix it up are not cheap. No. Like, he makes a multi-million dollar home, <laughs> like, and the idea is, like, he does it with his bare hands. Right. So, like, it's... it's a that trope is kind of eh uh, in general. Boy. Like yeah, these fetishy like magic boys. They can just like basically uh, move mountains for me. Kind it's of thing. Now, that's it's a dreamboat trope yeah. in the same way that like it's like the opposite side of the spectrum is like Christian Grey is a dreamboat. Like yeah. ooh, this suave celebrity who's going to sweep me off my feet. Like both of those things kind of exist on two different ends of a spectrum. So um, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, how much are you willing to? 
I don't know. It's sort of like with the... Um, How much you're willing to just go with the, like, romance schmaltiness. Yeah. You know? Um, the fact that it's, like, a genre film for a specific type of audience. Or a specific yeah. demographic. And it's fun, and, and, like, does it do it well? Yeah. I guess, like, for what it is, do we think it do, does it well? Or I mean, I feel like... One that should just go in the dollar bin. I still want to hear Zach's yeah. negative complaints, because I know he's a strong no. Um, I think that it is, like, visually okay. Like, um... There are some, you know, there are some good images in this movie. The um, image of them, like, canoeing through the swan does. lake yeah. is, like, a really beautiful image. Yeah. The image of them kissing in the rain is a really beautiful yeah. image. Yes. Like, um, the cinematography is not bad. Um, I mean, it's not, like, meaningful, moving cinematography most of the time. It's just, like, kind of glossy, prestige-looking cinematography that, like, you know, you could do worse than that. Yeah. Um, anyways, Zach, why should I actually think this movie sucks? Because I'm sympathetic to that argument. Zach and Gigi, go. Wait, it's just because it's it's just a dumb movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, people people can be hot and it be boring. I mean, look I think at they do like they're. I think look they're good at Kanye. actors too. No. Um. It's just. I think Are we he's kind of hotness. I'm not. Yeah. No. But I mean, you know, they're boring people. I was more. The, I was more leaning on the boring side. Um. I like. I. I get what you're saying. I just. I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> There's no, there nothing nothing got swept up. If if it mm-hmm. felt like a very manipulative movie, mm-hmm. everybody's manipulating. It really is. Well, it's manipulating you, yeah. and then it's and then he's manipulating the woman with Alzheimer's. He's manipulating mm-hmm. her early in the movie too, because he's, he's literally super like toxic hey. as like an early first day boyfriend. Like yikes, I mean, get away. I mean, he literally like is like, he, I was like laughing at all these letterbox reviews, which is just like Ryan Gosling's like, I'm gonna kill myself unless you date me, and she's just like, I mean, yeah. okay, Jesus. Yeah. Um, so romantic. I mean, it's I could see a version of that movie where that works, in that like it makes an arc out of him growing, like a lot of SRK movies do. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't really grow. What happens? He just does the really yikesy toxic stuff to get with her, and yeah. then they're together and they're super happy to get like. And he never has to do awful toxic stuff because of how much they love each other. Yeah. Well, um, they never like deal with anything. Like they literally have like a little scene, and it's like they fight a lot, but then after the end, they like to kiss. And you're like, I mean, well, what's the fighting part? Like, what are they fighting about? Is it because she's a fucking rich spoiled person, and he's you know working class man just trying to make it ends meet? You know. Um, but they don't. That's not really the reason why they yell at each other. They're just like no. But I they don't have know. This weird explosive. Like I guess they're supposed to think they have this explosive chemistry where like they're so um, like they have so much energy for each other sexually. They're like they also like are constantly throwing energy at each other when they're like in conflict. You know, um, it's really a weird dynamic. I don't. Yeah, I don't get it's it. like they don't really give you enough to know what that is about. Yeah. They really don't. Like the characters are actually very thinly written. Yeah, they are. Well, that's yeah. and that's the other thing is so like you gotta you gotta like like being around them. I didn't like being around either of them. They were both kind of boring. They're boring. Yeah. They're pretty just boring, bland ass people. Like uh, Rachel McAdams is like this like southern money blonde woman. I was just like, oh, you know, Who magically has no problematic views. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm sure if we like got you in a room, you would be like saying stuff and we'd be like, whoa, Rachel McAdams in the notebook. Um, I mean, you could look at it as like a Romeo and Juliet movie and like those characters are also very thinly written and that's kind of, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just, to me, it's just very stale. Like there's just nothing. Like, I, I don't know, I, I can, like, pinpoint stuff, and it's not, like, the worst thing ever. But And I'm not saying this is the worst thing ever, but I'm just, like, it's just a very, to me, very stale across the board. Like, by the end of it, I was just like, oh, all right, lucky old people, I got to die. 
I have to watch the credits for this. Also, can we talk about how Nicholas Sparks is like an evangelical and this kind of is a faith-based movie? Like in the last act, there's a lot of talk about like, you know, our love can cause a miracle and like God, whatever we can't solve by science, we'll solve through God. Um, And it's like God takes them both at the same time to take them to heaven to live together. And like, it's just, I mean, if you believe that stuff, sure, I I guess. But like, there isn't, there really isn't that much distance between something like this and something like fireproof, um, you know, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of those movies. I'm surprised they didn't go to to church at some point and just be like, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's just... It's, it's like it. It's very. It just feels like a PG movie. Like, like clearly these people just want to fuck each other all day. And you're like, I mean, that's fine. That's, that's what Dirty Dancing's about. Um, so then let them do that. Instead, they're just like they could have leaned into that more. Yeah, it's not. It's you not get really more that than sex. You would get in a PG movie, but they could have leaned into it. These are like the kind of movies I would watch before I realized I could watch stuff on HBO. Yeah, and then. Well, this is a movie you have a lot of nostalgia for, right? Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? I don't know like if I have what, a lot of nostalgia. I mean, this is a movie that I think a lot of people have nostalgia yeah. for. And I think you were of that age when it came out and yeah. was popular. So, yeah. like, what what did oh, this yeah. feel like in the moment? What was the zeitgeist about? The yeah, movie? I think, like, um, like, I feel like I've already kind of said what I think is strong about it, which is the thing that the, I think the actors just generally do a good job. And it's just been cool, too, to see them, at, like, both of their acting careers since this movie too. Like yeah. this is probably my origin for both of them. Um, they're both good actors. Yeah, and, and see the things that they've been in. I think that they're both good actors, period. And I think that they capture like that this like spicy romance really well, period. And so I think like as a romance movie, um, at bare minimum they have good chemistry and, and it's just sort of fun to see them on screen. I think that, I mean, especially comparing it to some other ones that we've done for the series, it's not as strong. Um, I don't, like I said, I think like the, the characters are pretty hollow and uh, the plot is a little obvious and shallow and preachy and also just kind of corny at times. So it's definitely not, um, it doesn't compare to some of the other ones we've done for the series and some of the other yeah. ones that I even probably would have liked to see on the series if we were doing like a whole year or something of mm-hmm. some of the best well, and like and like the the movie from last week Titanic also has a cheesy just kind of melodramatic um bro- romance but at least they give you a cool fucking iceberg yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know like this movie I think gives that you Titanic is a much better movie yeah they give you they give you nothing so at least think... yeah why do you think the notebook has like lived on what do you think people um, do? Because you know, evangelicals are horny too, you know? I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, one thought that I have is that it probably won't. Like, this movie isn't that old. It's like 20 years old. And I think that a lot of people who keep hold it as a classic are just people who remember it being really popular. But I think if you showed this to Zoomers, they're going to be like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, I don't, I don't think this movie is going to have legs yeah. in the way that Dirty Dancing and Titanic have had legs. Maybe not. Um, no, at least in Titanic, it's like, you know, you, this romance is a little corny, but here's a cool, like, here's the ship on its axis. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Titanic characters are so much better. Plus you get Billy um, Zane. You don't get anybody. Yeah. That, there's no villains in this. You, I mean, the, her parents... Well, the Billy Zane, the closest character to Billy Zane is that character she almost marries, right? What's that guy's name? He's in Enchanted. Yeah, but he's not even that he's mean. He's really not. Like, everything is so soft and, he's and super squishy nice. in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of... And that's the other thing, is there's no tension. Like, I mean, even her parents are kind of like, yeah, we don't totally it's like him, like but I mean, he's fine. It's poor boys. Mm-hmm. Like, that line from the Gatsby movie. Yeah, it's movie. very... It... Like, that's the in- the entirety of the evil in this movie. Yeah. Well, the mom keeps letters, which was mean. Because she... she secretly wants him to get together the whole time. No, like, she doesn't. She does, because, like, she has regrets about how she didn't get with the hunky blue yeah, collar she man when the, she was a kid. She wanted the bang and that... So that, she, like, that, that the working man right and so she was trying to help her daughter like keep up appearances or whatever but she secretly wants her to it would have been cool to know like whatever what ended up happening with her relationship with her parents with her marrying him they don't give us that either. they don't because there's like no 
actual like hard edges in the movie, even though it's Cassavetti's like the guy who made it is John Cassavetti's dad. There are no hard edges. In the and it movie. makes you wonder like, did they have to cut a lot from the book, or did the book just not do it? I, I think I, that's I don't know Nicholas Sparks. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Knowing how squishy this movie but... is, they were probably just like, "Well, we disapprove, but it's okay. You're still getting. You'll get one million instead of two million in your <laughs> when we die." Yeah. She's like, "Oh, dad." Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Fuck these people. Whatever. <laughs> And again, like for a movie that's like theoretically about class, it's really like class unconscious. But yeah. like money is not a thing that affects anybody's life negatively. In this no, movie. not at all. So I think I've been swayed to the no camp here. <laughs> I don't hate it. I don't think it's. I don't think it. It really even compares really to some of the other ones we've done for the series. But I think it's Point fun. one for Zach's team. Yeah, we'll, we'll give this one to Zach this week. The Notebook. Also, can I just say, we had to watch this on iTunes because it wasn't on Amazon. And iTunes streaming service sucks. Like, four different times in the movie, it just stopped in the middle of it. And it was like, this is not available. And we had to reload it. And How so, did like, you watch this movie, Zach? It's on uh, HBO Max. Gosh, I could have done that. Look on HBO Max. I just got us an HBO Max subscription. Dude, HBO Max like, is the tits. Yeah, it works, actually. It's so it is. The phrase everyone is saying. And, and I told Andrew to look on it before we went and purchased it on whatever, and he was like, ah, it's probably not on there. And then I was like, okay, I guess not. Well, Letterboxd said it wasn't, so well, I just believe Letterboxd like a fool. Yes. <laughs> Man. So, yeah, I mean, you know what? If you're a teenager who hasn't realized that you can just watch shows on HBO... And you have evangelical parents. And you have evangelical parents... I think that the notebook is mean, a great gateway to, drug back to back to, to Andrew's point. Like, do you think like Zoomers they love them they love them some Euphoria? Do you think the people really watching do. Euphoria are going to be wanting to, to fuck around with you the notebook? It's the very sheltered people are so very much more on like teenagers' fingertips now, just on TikTok. Yeah, you can just see hot goth babes like not naked but just kind of dancing around in a really hot way yeah. we didn't have this when we were growing up I That's probably would have realized a lot of things much more quickly if this was my reality but I had a flip phone even the super sheltered evangelical girls like they have smartphones yes. they can make a google search if you want to make a google search I right? just didn't know um, I didn't yeah, we'll have dial-up internet until, like, yeah. who knows? Uh, yeah, that's my theory. I don't think it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit. Well, we'll see. We'll revisit this in 10 years. And yeah. see, if see you in 25 years, everyone. <laughs> do we have anything else? Sorry? Do we have anything else to talk about? I mean, it's been kind of short. Do we have anything else? <laughs> this is a short part, too. Like, like, uh, like honestly, just a, just a stale, boring-ass movie. I got nothing to say. Uh... Have you ever seen a Hallmark movie, Zach? I haven't. I feel like there's probably things to say. From like about start the to finish. This is a Hallmark movie. Are we talking about the ones that the, the people that make the Christmas movies every year? That is the Hallmark. Movie. This is at least better than that. I mean, it's better than that in terms of the cinematography from what I've seen of Hallmark movies. Mm-hmm. But I've seen like no Hallmark. Movies. Um, I think the this, writing this, is not much different. No, the writing's not much. Th- I mean, it's like it's it's like a Hallmark movie with bigger actors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got some good acting, I think, in it. I think it's fine. Like, not annoying. I will say, like, pretty much, I don't like almost any of the scenes, but they're old. I think, not even the yeah. old people actors. I think they're fine. They're whatever. But, like, all the nurses and stuff, too. Just everybody, all the lines. It's all really corny. It's not well done at all, I don't think. I do think that, I mean, do you think that Hallmark movies would exist like they exist today if it wasn't for the success of like the Nicholas Sparks wave? Because if it's that's possible. true, this is yeah. kind of a force for evil in the world, right? Yeah. <laughs> People like the Hallmark movies, though. People do, but they're also like evangelical movies. They're like, really boring. They're they're like super super conservative. They're super super white. They don't have like they have like maybe one LGBT romance, but because there's like protests about it. Like, Why are you protesting the dumbest thing in the world? Like, who cares? Let the Hallmark people the gays watch like the Hallmark dumbass. Movies. No, guys, <laughs> gays watch something better. Join the dark side. Listen to Cinematary. Don't watch Hallmark movies. Come on, gays. <laughs> no. I'm not saying all gays like Hallmark. I'm saying there is a community. Like, there's a podcast of like. Uh, gay people watching Hallmark movies. I know this is a thing. You guys could do something so much more exciting in your yeah. lives. Why do you need to do that? 
It's fine. You live your lives, Gase. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I ain't reading I ain't all that. Really I'm happy for you. I'm sorry it happened. Notebook. It's, it's available notebook. to watch on stuff. I don't know what to tell you. It's on HBO Max. It's on HBO you know Max. <laughs> if you're not pleased with the audio quality of this video, consider becoming a Patreon. We have $1 and $5 tiers on Patreon.com. Yeah. We're My microphone may or may not be working anymore. It's very yeah. sad. We may have to buy a new snowball. Yeah. You have to go to the patron funds. All right, well, that will wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us on uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash cinematary, on uh, Twitter and Instagram at handle at cinematary, and on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash cinematary, where we post all the movies that we talked about in this episode. Um, Thank you. As we said before, patreon.com slash cinematary. If you want to just toss us a dollar, you can now do that. Um, and we have our first $1 supporter. Uh, I'm going to probably butcher your oh, name, cool. so I apologize. Uh, Teresa Marsh, uh, Marsh Marsh Teresa? Teresa? Teresa. Or is it Teresa? No, it's Teresa. Teresa. Just a Z. Teresa Marshty. Thank you for being our patron, Teresa. Thanks for being our first dollar, our dollar supporter. Um, but thank you to our other patrons. Cam, Chad Newsom, Corey Willingham, Harry Eskin, Candice Sisson, Ron Hayes, Titus Arthur, Tyler Chandler, and Whitney Real Ross. Thank you so much for your patronage. Um, next week, we're going to conclude our romance series with 2018's To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Which is better than The Notebook. Will you be so sad when the series is over, Zach? Have you just loved the series so much? <laughs> Zach has really, really loved that I gave him six weeks of romance movies. Hey, most of them are good. I, I mean, I think so, but I don't know if Zach well, Let's see. Let's go down the list. Well, how, what are we batting right now? we got extra time this podcast. Um, <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down in all the movies. No, movie number one, Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing. Thumbs up. Thumbs all right, up. Zach says thumbs up. Movie number two, When Harry Met Sally. Thumbs, two thumbs up. Thumbs up. Movie number three, Titanic. Wait, am I skipping one? Uh, Poetic Justice. Poetic Justice. Didn't watch it. I'm going Thumbs to- up. Movie number four, Titanic. Oh, I didn't like it. That opinion, I think. Um, movie number five, The Notebook, thumbs down. Okay. And you've already seen Two All the Boys Love Before, and that's thumbs down, right? Okay, so it's 50 So it's, we're 50-50. It's ending yeah. on, a, on a negative note for Zach. So sorry, Zach. Well, I mean, if if there's a lesson to be learned from that, it's that the film industry has really been uh, like slacking on romance. But according to Zach, Dude, let me... it's moving to television. Let me tell you that that who the the there's gonna be that erotic thriller thing with Anna de Armas and uh, and Ben Affleck. Romance is back. Wait, who's who's uh, directing that? Um, Adrian Lin. Oh fuck yeah! Okay, that could be good. That sounds cool. And there's a lot of good like romantic television shows. Sure, like but they're watching, all shot like to all the boys. We're watching before. Outlander right now. Outlander is really good. Yeah. And what was that one? Ordinary people is that on Hulu? Yeah. Do you know, no, ordinary, not ordinary people. Not That's normal the one. Normal people. Super good. There's a lot of really good romances right now on television, and I like that. I love a good splasha. You, you do. You made it abundantly splasha. clear. <laughs> splasha romance. Anyway, thanks Thanks for for listening, listening, everyone. Stay cool. Adios.